Hey, welcome to the Health Coaches Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Howard Jacobson. Before we get to today's episode, a question. Would you like to become a wicked effective health coach to help people change their behaviors, change their habits, change their health destinies, and to be able to do it through a reliable process, one that works every time? If so, I'd invite you to check out the WellStart Health Coach Training Academy. And you can find it at wellstartcoach.com. And you can check and see when we're running our next training course. All right, let's get to today's topic. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Health Coaches Podcast. I am your host, Kevin Davis, and I'm here with your other host, Howard Jacobson. And, uh, Today, you know, we've, we've kind of been going back and forth between uh, conversations between Howard and I and interviews. And um, while this one is sort of a conversation, you know, the, the, the friendly conversational tone with Howard and I, it's also somewhat of an interview um, because Howard and, and if you follow any of the work that Howard does on his on his podcast, Plant Yourself, um, or if you're, you know, Facebook friends or any kind of information that you may have seen some of the stuff that he's commented just recently about uh, Dr. Will Bosowitz uh, wrote his new book is uh, Fiber Fueled. Yep. Is the name of the book? Yep. Yeah. So trust him. And boy. so. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, and, and and you read the book and had the conversation with him just recently. Yep. Um, and, and just started commenting about some how it was, you know, kind of game changing type of a book, some of the information in there. And uh, especially as somebody who, you know, talks to people about that sort of thing so commonly for you to say that, mm. uh, really, you know, my ears just kind of perked up a little bit when, <laughs> when I heard those comments. Um, so, so I, I kind of wanted to ask you, and so this, you know, listeners, I wanted to, I wanted to ask some questions of Howard about, um, about this and, and what he's talking about there and just something to sort of help you guys decide when and what sort of changes are, are important with your coaching. So um, first off, Howard, you know, could you maybe tell us, you know, you've made comments that this is already, you know, within a day or so changing, um, you know, how your coaching goes and some of the some of the aspects of your coaching. So what is what do you mean by that? Yeah. So the big thing was the my understanding that uh, Dr. Will talked about that the gut is a muscle. So if you and this is going to be so obvious to you as a fitness trainer, if someone comes into you to to get strong, to get fit, and they haven't lifted more than a can of soup in 20 years, you are not going to put them on a bench press machine and give them 350 pounds to lift. Probably wouldn't be very smart, right? <laughs> right. You'll, you'll start them. You'll you'll assess where they are. And I noticed this when I started doing my own uh, work with a uh, with a fitness trainer. It was insulting the weight he gave me to start with. <laughs> right. Like I'm there. I'm at the gym. Like who's watching me lift these pink two and a half pound um, dumbbells? Right. But you know, he'd, he'd check out my form whether I was doing squats or uh, floor press. And if I did it right, he would then incrementally increase the weight to, I don't know, the next one is three pounds, then five, then seven. And, you know, within half an hour, we got to where it was a, a pro, an appropriate challenge for me. 
So like 25 pounds in each hand for the floor press, uh, box squat, holding a 35 pound uh, plate on my chest. And so but, you know, the two points like end up where they where the challenge is going to help me grow and not going to damage me and start really slow, like air. Like it wasn't like, well, let's start you with 300 pounds, see how you do. And if that's too much, we'll drop down to 250 and 200 until you end up at 25. It was very if specifically. You're not injured by then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so when Dr. B said the gut is a muscle, like here's what I always thought about. The, the, like there's a dynamic tension between the physiology and the psychology of changing our diets. The, the, the psychology is you want to go slow, right? You want to take things one step at a time. The trouble with that is the physiology, which is if you are taking it slow, you're still going to be eating lots of foods that are going to be like. So if you want to get off sugar and you keep eating sugar every week because you haven't gone, you know, cold tofu and you're you're still having sugar, that means you're constantly triggering the craving. You're not letting your taste buds um, you know, reacclimate to a new thing. And so it's almost like psychologically, behaviorally going slow is good, but physiologically, it would be much better to just quit immediately. And, and you know, the big picture is tomorrow you go whole food plant based completely. You throw everything out. And we've seen these videos where they do the, you know, the, the, the kitchen makeover and just putting, you know, throwing all this stuff in hefty bags or taking it down to the, the food pantry and like, I'm never going to do this again. And so I always felt like there was a tension between the physiology of quit immediately, clean it up right away and the behavioral stair step approach. What the idea that the gut is a muscle helped me see is that for most people, taking it slow is actually a better physiological approach as well. Not not in terms of what you're removing. There's no physiological problem with removing sugar, but in terms of what you're adding. So if all of a sudden, so if someone hasn't had a bean outside of a Taco Bell burrito in 20 years <laughs> and you suddenly say, OK, now tomorrow you're going to have your cup of beans. Mm -hmm. Right. They're at each eat, meal, yeah, at each meal. Or you're going to have <laughs> a big salad. Right. We're going to add all this stuff in because this is how the doctors tell you to eat. And this is how the Instagram influencers plates look. Then what's likely to happen is it's the same as giving someone 350 pounds in the bench press. Their mm -hmm. gut doesn't know how to handle it. And because Dr. B is an expert on the microbiome, the explanation is we only have the bugs in our microbiome that we feed. So if you haven't yeah. fed them the beans, the brown rice, the cruciferous vegetable, the roughage, the fruit, and you then go all out and say, here you go, you're going to feel terrible. You're yeah. because we outsource. We don't outsource the digestion of meat. It turns out we outsource the digestion of fiber. And there's not just one kind of fiber or two kinds, soluble or insoluble. There are dozens of different kinds of fiber. Each plant has a different fiber. Each plant in a different state, raw versus cooked, has slightly different fiber. And all of those feed your microbiome. So it's much better to go for small amounts and variety 
than to overwhelm us with the perfect diet, because what people are going to feel is very often is bloating, diarrhea or constipation or indigestion. And they're going to say, oh, well, that didn't work for me. How many people do we know? Well, said they I went, like that you skip the farting. Well, this is this this is a you know PG podcast, so I, I you know the word fart isn't even in my, my vocabulary. Okay, uh, I didn't say fart, guys. Ignore that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Roger, take that out. Oh, wait, there is no Roger. Yeah. We, don't, we don't have an editor. Or is there? <laughs> well, if if Roger exists, he's doing a shitty job of taking out our curse words. <laughs> Damn it, Roger. Anyway, Glenn, Glenn uh, Livingston has a Roger. So we're constantly he's constantly saying, Roger, take that out. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we have we have no Roger. Um, Roger that. Um, surely you must be joking. Um, no, surely. <laughs> right. So so that was the insight that it's all for most people. We want to take it slow. As he says, if you have an allergy to something and I put two, like if you have an allergy to cow's milk, and I put two drops of cow's milk on your tongue, you're probably not going to go in anaphylactic shock. There's a dose response. And so if you if you have a sensitivity to a food just because you don't have the team to handle it because you've never fed them, then the correct thing to do is is challenge amounts and you start growing the team over time. Oh, that's so interesting to me. And, I, and you know, I could take this conversation into a whole different direction and, 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 you know, okay. especially if Dr. B was here, um, <laughs> just like with that part alone, cause that's kind of, I, I, you know, I've listened to some of your conversation with him. I haven't read the book yet. Um, but I have struggled with an intolerance to red onions for years now. Mm. And, you know, and I haven't actually tested it in a long time now because I found that that was a, you know, a trigger to where if I ate some red onion, I would get a migraine so bad that I would vomit, that I would not be able to see straight, um, you know, just couldn't function. Yeah. And and it was interesting because I noticed that it was to a lesser degree. I was impacted that way by onions, especially if they were raw, just, uh, you know, other non-red, white or yellow, um, uh, you know, less strong onions. Uh -huh. And uh, so it, it, with those, it's more if I eat too many of them or especially you know, eat them very raw over a period of days. Red onion, it could be just I eat them yeah. that day. Yeah. So what he would and, what he would say is, if it's migraines and something like that, it might be a true insen you know insensitivity or too sensitivity. Okay. Where the you know the, what he's talking about is things that cause digestive bloating and uncomfortableness, yeah. but not other symptoms. Okay. Right. So if you're gluten intolerant, if you have or if you have an allergy to a food, you could get these other things. So there's like a, there's a whole portion of the book. Like I'm simplifying sure. greatly. But if you were my client, that would you know this for the same reason. Like that's good to know. Like let's add things in slowly, one at a time, and see. Mm -hmm. So we don't say, Kevin, go plant based, have all this stuff, and you get a migraine, which is only triggered by raw red onions, and you assume it's the whole effing diet. Yeah, because I mean, and, you know, if if I were less informed and I mean, you know, before I completely switched to 100 percent plant based, I, you know, I, I did kind of a step down um, approach over a matter of months and had had experimented with, you know, plant based meals for a few years even. Um, but I certainly can see where that could have easily happened to me because 
all the restaurants that I went to, I mean, I've, I've been to so many restaurants that have these delicious looking plant-based meals that are just so fresh looking at it. And one of the main flavor components is red onion, you know? Mm -hmm. So for, for example, in my case, like, you know, that's a, that's the first question that I have to ask when I, when I talk to a, uh, someone at a restaurant is, can I even eat the food? Um, but to, you know, so then to the other side of that token, then, okay, if it's not an actual intolerance, you know, the beans and things, oh my God, how many conversations have you had with people who either tried this out or maybe are still sticking to it, but it started out and just had so much gas and bloating and you're like, yeah, beans, you know, you're new to them, <laughs> but, but here's kind of an answer. So. Um, so I just found that to be fascinating and, and, you know, not to go too deeply into the, the science of all that. Um, uh, obviously we, um, this is a, that's kind of a topic or an area of focus that we're very interested in and probably all of you are, but, but this podcast being about the coaching specifically, um, I found it interesting that this then could change the way you coach to learn that information. Well, it was very humbling because, the way I think about coaching is that everything's a muscle, mm. right? Yeah. Like your ability to say no to temptation is a muscle. Your your ability to follow through on an unpleasant task is a muscle. Your right, your your ability to walk or run or lift or push are all muscles. And like, there's something very inevitable about training a muscle when you mm. when you. Um, stress it in the right way, in the right amount, for the right amount of time, it grows. Like you don't, like when someone, I don't know if you saw, I posted a podcast a couple days ago or maybe yesterday called, you know, it drives me crazy when people, when coaches say, okay, we've just finished this conversation. Wish me luck. Yeah. Right. Like you wouldn't say that if someone's like worked out with you on Monday, Wednesday and Friday and you, they wouldn't say, well, wish me luck. Well, hope I get stronger. Because they've just done the thing that's going to make them stronger. It's like, oh, wish me luck. I hope gravity doesn't uh, let me float away. Right. These are laws <laughs> of physics. And so as coaches, right. we want to tie we, we want to, uh, you know, follow on the coattails of these laws where if you strengthen a muscle, it gets stronger. So a lot of what we're doing in the coaching session is setting up. The, the scenario where, you know, it's not like lifting weights. It's not like you can sit there with someone while they eat broccoli, right? Whereas a coach can, you know, a trainee, a trainer can sit there while and make you pump iron. But we're trying to create this, the scenario whereby the person then goes and challenges their muscle, whatever the muscle is, in a way that they are 100% confident that they can at least give it a try. Right. Because the problem is not that people don't try hard enough. The people the problem is that people don't get started. Right. So, like, it's embarrassing for me to realize, like, I was I had food in this whole other category, probably because of my whole food plant based indoctrination. Like how I got into the whole health coaching was through whole food nutrition, through writing books with doctors and scientists. And I think I have I have had a blind spot that somehow whole food plant based is its own special thing and it's not subject to the forces of nature that everything else is subject to. And I think it took a um, a very loving dope slap from Dr. B to to help me see that. So I feel like I'm going to be a much more effective, compassionate and focused coach for people who want to change how they eat. 
that's that's fantastic. I mean, that's fantastic, right? I mean, that's you know to to be able to adapt like that. Um, and so, hooray for that. Yeah, but, well, I, I hate I hate being a sucky coach, right? Like when you work, right, of course, and you work with someone, it's not working, or they're you know you're, they're coming back week after week with the same problem. It's not fun. Yeah, yeah, but you know, you got this dope slap right from this book. And, and so I can see where, you know, we've had some conversation about kind of what it was about that book, but I mean, there are how many, you know, thousands of books flying across the, um, Amazon recommendations and across your desk and all this sort of thing every day, every week, every month, there's new books coming out. And so there's gotta be some point where we make a decision of what's worth our time. So, I mean, how do you decide other than, you know, I'm going to talk to Dr. Will in a few days, yeah. but how do you decide which things are worth looking at? Um, so I've gotten better at this, I think. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say the, 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 the key to my success in choosing books is that I'm very willing to stop reading on page three if I'm not interested. So, you know, the expense is buying the book which is, you know, it can be a significant expense, but it pales compared to spending 12 hours reading the book <laughs> like that. That's where I really waste resources. So if I if I glance through it, if I if I and, you know, usually I, I try to read some reviews and see like table of contents, like I think this is going to be interesting. But if I get it wrong, I just cut bait. Um, that's not a very vegan metaphor. Uh, I, st I stopped pulling the mushrooms. I don't know. There you uh, go. <laughs> right. I uh, because I used to I used to feel like, well, I bought it. I better read the damn thing. You know, just like, right. well, I, you know, I ordered this disgusting food at this restaurant. I have to eat it now. Right now, you can. Yeah, uh, you know, I've because I do Audible a lot. Uh, you know, obviously running around with a one-year-old all the time and whatever. I don't get a lot of time to sit and read, so I do a lot of Audible. And I can just put a Bluetooth mm -hmm. in my ear and go for a walk or a run or a whatever. And I think there's only one or two books that I've used a credit on and got a little ways in and was like, I just can't do this. Mm -hmm. It's hard to be. It's hard to be willing to stop. Yeah, that's a muscle to build. Yeah. But, you know, if you've been listening for 45 minutes and you haven't paid attention to a word they've been saying, that might be a sign. Like, yeah, this isn't for that's me. True. And, you know, Audible is a, uh, a much more convenient medium to return things because you don't have it anymore. <laughs> and you get your yeah. you get your credit back. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've, I've heard that supposedly if you do that too much that, you know, they'll kind of uh, uh, notice that or catch that in your account. But I mean, I've yeah. like I said, I've only had to do that a couple of times and they're they're very cool right. about it. Very well, we've, easy we've been my wife and I have been three credit a month listeners since 2011. So I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure, you know, we have a long way to go before they would uh, flag us for yeah. overzealous returns. Yeah. Anybody from Audible who may or may not be listening here, uh, please add an unlimited subscription option. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We've got the highest one they offer, and it's not enough. Right, right. Uh, three or four, yeah. or whatever that is. So that, so that, so. yeah. So that was the first thing is to is to don't waste your time on things that are not worth your time. Um, yeah. Second thing is I have a a very small group of people who are book recommenders for me. Mm -hmm. 
There are people who they say, hey, you should read this. I don't ask questions. I just go and get it. And the trick to having that is to start out a little slutty. Right. So if you know, if you say, hey, go read this book and I read it and I'm like, nah, not for me, then you go. Your credibility goes down a little. I might say, hey, tell me what you liked about it. What did you what did you think I was going to get from this? And we might I might discover something that you saw that I didn't, which happens. But over time, I have maybe four or five people who regularly send me book recommendations, say you've totally you've got to read this. And I think and I, what I've heard is through my podcast and through our coach training that we have become that for a lot of people. Like when you say go read, I tell a lot of people to read like uh, Peter Levine in an unspoken yeah. voice or Bessel van der Kook, uh, The Body Keeps the Score, or, you know, now I'll tell people like read Fiber Fueled. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if we do a good job, then we become the recommenders. And so I have I have honed and cultivated a garden of recommenders. Well, that's interesting that that's one of your, uh, uh, you know, methods here, because that's one of the things that I was thinking as I was thinking about the questions that I had for you is I was like, man, I'm really spoiled when it comes to this question, because I uh, just happened to be friends with this guy, Howard, who reads a lot of books that I'm interested in. And I get to hear from you like, oh, this one was worth yeah. moving forward. With. Yeah, but you know I, what I mean? <laughs> it's, but I'm just another link in the chain, right? People are doing that yeah. for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they get, you know, so like I, I don't really have anyone who recommends whole food plant based nutrition books anymore. Like I'm yeah. so sick of those. Right. Like doc, Dr. Will squeaked out like his was so new and interesting. But basically, some there's so many of us kind of the same now. It's just like, well, I need to write a book, too. There's nothing wrong with that. Like the, everyone has a voice. I'm not telling people don't write the next whole food plant based book, but I don't need to read them all. Uh -huh. Yeah, because I've gotten to that point, too. It's like I read a whole bunch of them, thousands of pages or whatever over you know, a handful of years. And it, and it's like now, it, especially once you've kind of applied a lot of it too, mm -hmm. it feels right. like, okay, how much, you know, how much of this do I need to read? Let's branch out into other things that can inform my decisions and my, and my abilities. Right. Now, another thing is like, I do it backwards because I have a podcast. So I'll read the book yeah. in preparation for interviewing the person. I think it's much right. smarter to listen to the person being interviewed before you get the book. Like I've I found a lot of books that were not in the wheelhouse of the podcast on first blush based on listening to them on other people's podcasts or just hearing them on the radio. So one example is Chris Voss, the negotiation expert, which I thought was so useful for what we do in health. But it, he's talking about negotiating, buying a car or hostage negotiations. But I heard him on a podcast and I thought, I want to talk to this guy. Um, another was the guy who wrote um, What Doesn't Kill Us about Wim Hof and cold exposure and uh, hormesis. I heard him on NPR and I'm like, I want to talk to this guy. He sounds really interesting. So I am drawn to the author, uh, trusting that the author is going to put out a uh, an interesting book. So if you know if you're if you're a podcast listener or a radio listener, just notice what conversations with writers um, get you excited. I just the, here's the next book I'm going to read. I think it's called Humankind 
by uh, Rutger Bregman. And it's a study of like the history of human kindness or the 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 hmm. sociology of, of kindness. And I, and I read an article by him in The Guardian um, newspaper about, you know, Lord of the Flies, that book about the, the, British, the English schoolboys who end up on an island and basically turn into savages. Yeah. Um, about this, this there was this is based on a true story um, about a bunch of boys. I think it was off the coast of, of, of like Papua New Guinea or Australia. These British boys who do, who created essentially a utopian society in which, like, it was the exact opposite. And so, reading this, same like, same type of situation it started out as, and then right, except like these, you know, this is this is what human nature really can turn into in the absence of of adult, um, you know, supervision. So I'm yeah. like, I'm like. I want to read that book based on based on an article. Another another interview I did was with uh, Adrian Marie Brown, who I was on a I was off a Facebook link to some website I'd never been before reading some article. And on the right sidebar, there was a list of other articles. And it was um, that said that this woman had written a book called Pleasure Activism. And like those two words made me reach out to her and say, uh, what the heck is that? That sounds really interesting. <laughs> and we had a yeah. conversation. So a lot of it is simply just serendipity and curiosity, like trust. Like there's no right book to read right now. There have been so many books that I've come across and it's like, that was the book I needed exactly that moment. And it was almost an accident that I found it. Well, you know, Something that you brought up there, you know, you talk about finding things in, in uh, podcasts or radio shows or, or, or papers that you're reading or things like that. Um, for somebody who doesn't feel like, you know, if your initial thought, as Howard talks about having, you know, four or five people that he trusts to, to get book recommendations, if your initial thought is like, oh, man, I just don't have that many people in my life that are that are interested in the same things or that are going to give me these recommendations, actually, you know, it as you were talking about that, Howard, I'm thinking like, yeah, oh yeah. If I hear Rich Roll have a conversation with somebody, you know, it's not just, oh, Howard texted me about this book. There's also Rich Roll. There's also, who, you know what I mean? Whoever these podcasts, some of the podcasts by, that NPR puts out, um, you know, Freakonomics or, you know, whatever it is, like whoever, yeah. whoever you really like to listen to. Um, uh, Revisionist History is another good one that I listen to that's like, you know, it's you Malcolm just have Gladwell. certain people. Malcolm Gladwell. Mm-hmm who if you come across these people who uh, you trust to have at the very least some insightful thought about what they're going to share with you, then it's maybe worth. Yeah. Listening and to this and I want to, I want to say one other thing, which is, you know, as you know, we don't really assign a lot of reading in the coach training. Yeah. I don't think it's necessary to be up on every book. I do yeah. it because it's kind of fun. It's kind of like a hobby for me. Um, and I have a podcast and I like interviewing people and I love reading and learning new things. But there have like if I hadn't read any of the last hundred books I read, I'd probably still be sort of 80 percent as good a coach as I am. And there were probably five books out of the last hundred that made most of the difference. So if you're yeah, going to say as as someone who's like right here beside you going through and helping to teach this and, and, and working on this and, and now having these discussions um, on the podcast here, I kind of get to see that it's like all, you know, every once in a while there's something that comes along and it's like, Oh, 
And, 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 and like I said, that's kind of what led to this entire conversation, this episode that we're doing today, is to hear those comments of, man, this changed some of my coaching thoughts within, you know, just a few hours of picking up this book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know that that's something that's not an everyday right. occurrence. And there are books where I think it's going to do it and I end up dropping it. Right. Yeah. Like the, for me, the jury is out on the um, was uh, the, the alter ego effect. Like I was really yeah. excited about that. And I'm not I'm having a little difficulty deploying it. I don't do it on a regular basis, but it's a tool in my toolkit. And there are times where I'm like, ah, this would be good. But that's 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 bonus. That's icing on the kale cake. It's not necessarily the cake itself. It's almost sort of along the lines of when you mentioned being willing to drop a book as you get partway into it. Uh, you know, if you take and you learn something from a book and you think, oh, this is this great skill that I can apply, this great tool that I can add to my coaching. If you find that it's not working or that it's not helping you out, then you can either drop it or, you know, minimize its importance or significance in in your conversations with, with clients. Right. Like when you think about our coach training, and the mm-hmm. books upon which it's based or the bodies of work, there's very few, right? There's right. Peter Bregman's work, which comes out in a couple of his books. There's Never Binge Again, which is a single book by Glenn Livingston. Um, and there's sort of polyvagal theory. And we, we've each read several books on that and, uh, and studied it. But I think, you know, if you take a look at those three and then maybe um, the stress proof book, which is not widely available by my, my friend and martial arts teacher, Glenn Murphy. Uh, we're a Glenn heavy uh, course. We love Glenn's. We love Glenn's. Yeah, we should we should try mountains and valleys, too. But uh, right now we're yes. we spend a lot of time. I love in your the mind Glenn. went there because I was just thinking about how we need to, like, I don't know, have a Glenn in the background of our. <laughs> yeah, I wish I was just wish I was wearing a kilt right now. <laughs> yeah. So do I. <laughs> So does everybody watching yeah. the YouTube version of this. Yeah, it's stuffy in here, I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, freeing. Yeah. <laughs> so um so we we talked about deciding, you know, what do you read and what do you do? Um then when it comes time to decide whether something's significant enough and important enough to implement it into your coaching, we kind of just mentioned that sometimes you know things are not going to be do you have a do you feel like there's a criteria that you have to meet or do you just try out a lot of the things that you read? Well, so they have to, I don't I don't replace I mean, I don't, you know, eliminate anything. So mm-hmm. like it would take a lot of work for me to eliminate the quick coaching methodology or to replace never binge again or to to come up with some other way of looking at stress and trauma than polyvagal theory. But within those I will, I, might, I will often say to someone, hey, I just I just read this or I, here's something I've just learned that I'd like to try. Um, so typically I would do it with people with for whom I've been with whom I've been working for a while where there's some trust or I know people that I know have maybe been following my podcast for years so that I'm not just because I've worked with I've been a coachee with too many people who just had the <clears throat> flavor of the month, like they went to a workshop and now all they do is this. And so I want to be very careful that just because I have a bright, shiny hammer that I don't start looking for nails everywhere. Uh, So that's that's basically how I think about it. It's like, oh, this sounds really interesting. Now, for whom might it work 
what problems does it solve that I don't have that I don't have other tools to solve? We are what what people what coaching clients are resistant or are struggling where this might be the key. Um, but really, the you know the the burden of 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 activation is it's got it's got to solve a problem better than I can solve it right now. Yeah, you know I love the part where you would actually approach the person you know in the conversation and say, I, "I've just kind of learned this. What if we try it out?" Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's yeah. a little bit of a sort of vulnerability that you're sharing with yeah. them. Yes. You know. And because how, what do I want them to say in like, oh, I've just here's something I want to try, right? Because the heart of coaching is experiment and assessment. And so if they're not willing to if I if I have model, hey, here's something. It might be silly. It might look foolish. I'm willing to go there for for your sake. Then I'm actually modeling a way of being. It's almost more important than whatever trick or trinket I'm I'm bringing to them. Right, whether it works or not. You know, I, one of the things that that we tell coaches all the time is that you, you know you're not trying something is not generally going to be harmful to you know to the the client that you're working with just because it doesn't work. But taking some action and, and having them try something, experiment with something, at the very least eliminates something and you find out something that doesn't work and now they can move on. Yeah, it's like, I always think of it as like a game of, you know, hotter, colder, where you're, try, you're trying to find a, a hidden object. So if you keep saying hotter, hotter and they, and they walk out the second story window, like that's not good. Right. So, yeah. you, so you don't want to try things. You know, you have to use judgment and hopefully coaches right. have developed judgment. So- but if you just if they don't keep moving, you can't win the game if you if you're if you're not moving. But if you move in the wrong direction, you've made progress because now you get you get feedback. Ah, I think it was David Sinclair that I heard in an interview kind of talking about that. The, the longevity researcher uh-huh. talking about the fact that really, you know, what science is, I'm sure every scientist has had failed experiments, you know, things that didn't turn out the way they thought they would. And basically what science is, is you try something and it doesn't work. So then you try something else and it doesn't work and, and you eliminate all these things until you find the thing that works. Right. Right. And, and so we're not trying to, you know, make our clients into, you know, um, enlightened beings without ego. What we're trying to do is get them and get ourselves to attach our ego to the process rather than the result. So when I, I don't know if you listen to this uh, podcast, but right when COVID-19 started getting really nuts, I was in South Africa. There was like nobody knew anything. I reached out to my friend, Michael Rothberg, who's a doctor and a researcher at the Cleveland Clinic. I've known Michael since um, the, like September 1977. Right. So we, we were couple, like a couple weeks. We were, you know, we've been best friends and enemies and, and, and rivals and competitors and soulmates for a long time. And through all that, I knew that, you know, he has a very healthy ego, but it's attached to finding the truth and to his methodology and not to any particular result. And he is so ready to be wrong. Because he's so he has such a strong ego as a scientist. 
So that's what we want our clients to be like, hey, guess what I tried and it totally didn't work and and expecting congratulations for that. Yeah, yeah that's great. Yeah, because, you know, even if you think about it in that in that scenario, the, the client goes out and they try whatever this is and it doesn't work. It's still a success because they still did the thing that they were going to try that they said they were going to do. Right. So we're, we and all that's have, really the as coaches, our job is to congratulate them for action. Yeah. And and yeah, very often that. to talk them out, talk them off the ledge when the action didn't give them the results they were hoping for. Yeah. Right. And, and then and then, you know, to then do fast assessments and learn and move on. All right, we set. I love that. Yeah, no, that's. I mean, it, it's great because I had, you know, three or four questions that I that I just was like, man, these are just kind of burning on my mind after hearing some of that. And I think that really uh, covered and and even uh, spread out into some more information than I even knew we were going to hit on. Well, I appreciate so, your questions because they were really good questions, and it meant that I didn't have to think about anything, which is a, which is <laughs> well, another you, secret you of coaching. To, yes, well, that's true. Yeah, uh, but you did have to read a book, and you know have some ideas around it. So, <laughs> um, but you know, I just wanted to kind of end on, on just the note that like, while we, and we sort of talked about this throughout, but like, while we have our methodology and everything that we do, uh, we still just want to be these lifelong learners, even as the coach, the one who's supposed to, you know, this mm. is why we say you shouldn't be this perfect expert, right? Like we're supposed to know something, but what we need to know is how to learn and how to try things and improve. Yep. The ultimate, you know, the ultimate humility is knowing that we don't know everything yeah. or, you know, or I guess as Socrates said, all I know for certain is that I know nothing, which can really twist your mind if you spend a lot of time on that one. Yeah. So while you all think about that, <laughs> we're going to we're going to take a pause here and, and talk to you uh, in a few days or next week. All right. Thanks, man. So, yeah, thanks. And thanks, everyone, for listening. I hope you found that helpful. So if you'd like to become a health coach, or maybe you already are a health coach and you'd like some additional training and more skills, or perhaps you're a health professional, a doctor, nurse, dietitian, etc., who would like to be able to influence your patients more effectively, again, check it out, wellstartcoach.com. All right, have a great day.